Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. For those of you that are new in your journey with God, some of you might be aware of the fact that God is a God that is not like any other God because He's the only God. And since He is the only true God, He has chosen to be personal with you and me. And that meant that He left heaven to come on this earth 2,000 years ago, so He penetrated society 2,000 years ago. But He's far more than just personal. He also is wanting a relationship. And so He wants us to connect better to Him. Now, when he came to this earth, he lived a perfect sinless life. He went to the cross, paid for the sins, rose again from the dead. And even before he came to this earth, he was having recorded his mind on paper and then given to humanity through the prophets and through the writers of the Bible and then through the disciples and others that lived so that he can continue penetrating the world through with us, through us into this world as well. And so as we study Colossians, we're at a section in Colossians that talks a great deal about relationships. But maybe for some of you, it'd be helpful for you to know where we have come and where we're heading yet. And let me give you a thumbnail sketch of the book of Colossians. If there was a phrase we would like to look at in Colossians, we would call Christ firstness. And that simply means that he is first and foremost, he's the preeminence, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And every, every relationship we should have should all be founded upon our intimacy that we have with him. Now, what's quite common is when the Lord is speaking truth to us, he does it in a way so he builds upon each truth. And so the first part of it would be chapter one, which is often known as doctrine. That would be the theology, getting to know who he is. And so we talk about Christ's preeminence as declared. So we learn that Christ is preeminent. And we learn that in chapter one. But when we do that, we're taking the truth of Christ and we're putting it up against a backdrop of air. And you have to know that literally millenniums of air or false teachings about God and who the true God was living in society. So while he was teaching truth, he also had to refute air. And so in this point, we're going to see that his truth, his doctrine is now defended. And so we get a chance to know how true and how honest God is and that he is worthy of our praise and the only true God. And then chapter three, it's not only knowing who he is, it's not only defending what the truth is, but it's also demonstrating that truth through duty. In other words, we live that life. In order for people to perhaps authentically be able to see, does Christianity work? We can read it in scripture, but we need to see it in the lives of people like you and me. And so we are now in a new section of scripture here, and it's talking about a new life means new relationships. Now, I know that as I look over this crowd today that many of you have been a Christian a long, long time, but it wouldn't hurt once in a while to go to a doctor, a spiritual doctor, to just check out how you're doing. And you might want to check up that you now have a new relationship with the Lord, but how is that new relationship in relating to other people? And that's what Paul is doing here in the book of Colossians. So in the weeks to come, here's what we're going to learn about our new life and our new relations. Today we're going to talk about how this new relation in Christ is in the relationship of marriage. So it'll be in marriage. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about it in family. So we're going to talk about the relationships of kids with moms and dads. So if you've got a family or you know those that are challenged in family, you'd want them to come. Then we're going to talk about how does it work at work? How does Christianity, the relationship that we have with Christ, relate in our world of work? 
They're going to talk about how does it really develop in our intimate relationship with God. Coming one more time back up, realizing that all of our strength and our wisdom and how to live our life is with God. Then we go back outward again and we talk about how do we live it around unsaved people. And I'm going to be sharing with you biblical principles right from this book on how you can share your faith in a comfortable but yet bold way so that the name of Christ is given to those that are your family and your friends, your associates, your neighbors, whoever might be around you. And then we're going to end this great study on this book of Colossians. And how do we relate to brothers and sisters, our friends in Christ, because we're going to be friends with one another a long, long time. You know, as I look at society today, you can see that society is having a tremendous amount of problems with interpersonal relationship. There's a lot of conflict. And often there's even conflict in families between siblings. It wouldn't surprise me that maybe even getting ready for church today, you saw your sons and daughters maybe kind of arguing and bickering with one another over any little thing. And so that kind of interrelational breakdown is occurring with the kids. And then with a crowd this size, it's quite possible that there could be some marital breakdowns that are going on. And then we can move it out into the world and you can see as there's different cultures that will clash with one another. There's crime being committed and of course it will always be the ultimate is wars. Man in humanity to man. And of course you can read about what's going on even in the Middle East and other places and how bad that is. But you know we could take the breakdown in relationships and bring it into work. I was reading recently about a recent study that came out of Harvard University that said... For every one person that is released from employment due to an inability to be able to function on their job and skills, two people were released in employment, not because they didn't have the skill set to function on the job, it's because they couldn't get along with fellow employees or with upper or lower management. And so we're seeing that it's two to one that more people are losing their jobs just because they cannot adapt to the work environment with relationships. And so if I look at today and I take it back into the Bible days, it wouldn't be a lot different. The only difference would be this. Back in the Bible days, there was a lot of different belief systems that were going on, and we've already studied all of that. When Christianity showed up, Christianity was like the new kid on the block. In this new kid on the block, it was easy to see the black and the white and the tremendous contrast, the difference between our God and the gods of the world. Now we live in a society, unfortunately, that we have the true God, but then people have taken this God and modified God, recreated the true God, and puts it up against all of this, and then they stamp it with Christianity, which is an authentic Christianity. So our job today, 2,000 years later, could be a lot more difficult than it was then because what we're having to do is not only show the difference between all these false gods, but we're having to show the difference between what people are claiming Christianity is and what authentic biblical Christianity is. And that takes some of us to be really careful to know what the scriptures say and to make sure that we are filled with the fullness of God, that difference, so that when we are now living this new relationship out in our relationships, that the world could look at this and then they could see what is authentic, true Christianity. So yes, it comes from what we teach, but it also comes from what we preach. Yes, it comes from how we talk the talk, but it also comes from how we walk the walk. And we want to talk a little bit about that in our relationships here of marriage. And I hope that today there will be a great blessing for some of you. Now, let me speak to those of you that are single, but particularly our young people for a moment. Now, you're on, on one side of marriage. In other words, you're not married yet, you singles and, of course, young people. And I would like to encourage you that you wouldn't just look at this message and say, I hope mom and dad are listening to this. I hope they really get this, or worse yet, 
uh, judging your mom and dad based upon what they're he hearing today from this message, then begin to criticize your mom and dad for not living up to this. That's very easy to do. But I'm telling you that that's what Satan would have you do, once again, to hinder relationships in a family. Here's what I'd like to submit to you instead. What I'd like for you to say is, regardless of anyone else, including mom and dad, and as great as they are, and how much they love me and I love them, I know that someday I'm highly likely to be married. And what I would like to do now is I would like to know what is it that God wants me to do as a husband or as a wife or what I should look for in a wife or in a husband. And I want to have this value system for me. I want to embrace this truth for me so that as I go, to, go, to, go into life and as I develop future relationships, I can see this is my biblical value system and I'm not going to lower my flag for anyone else's value system. This is what God wants me to do. So you take this now, embrace it, live it, own it, and then I'll tell you that you could have that wonderful marriage that you would really like to have. And you can now be the new biblical Christianity to show to the world. I was reading another study recently that came from some um, German scientists and psychologists, and they did a study on what happens to husbands who kiss their wives when they left the house each day to go to work. I thought that was an interesting study when I just started out. What happens to a husband who kisses his wife when he leaves to go to work? And here's what they concluded after this study. They found out that those who kiss their wives, they missed work less because of illness. They earned 10 to 30% more monthly. They had fewer automobile accidents on the way to work. And they even lived five years longer than those who didn't get a peck on the cheek. Well, I don't know if it's so much about lip-hitting cheek or lip-hitting lips. What I really think it is, it's more of this. It's that when you leave the day and you show some form of encouragement, some form of identification that I recognize you as a significant other, a person in my family, my life, I love you, that bit of encouragement lets that person go out in life on a biblical principle that says that we're to encourage one another. And so I got thinking, I, I think if I kiss quite Carol twice before I leave, would that, would that mean I'd live 10 years longer? And if I did it three times, and, and I wouldn't go crazy on this, but I think you know what I'm saying. And later on in this morning's message, I hope that all of us would look at our mates, our relationships, and see what we can do to release them of the offenses that they've given to us, that we would take ownership of our own offenses, ask forgiveness, and that we would allow today, a beautiful day here in Hawaii, to start again in our relationship, that it's never over, that God is always a God of second and third and fourth chances. But you know, I don't want to get all my training about how to have a good marriage from marriage counselors. Most marriage counselors, not all, and I haven't surveyed everybody, I don't know them all, but you know, most marriage counselors have been married maybe once, sometimes twice. And so they're still trying to figure it out. Not all of them, but some of them are, and I hope that they really do get the message. For me, though, if I'm looking for marital advice or at least a model to follow in marriage, where would I look? Probably two sources. One is my primary source, which would be God's book right here. This is the best marriage manual you will ever have. And all of you don't have to go out and buy one. Most of you already have a Bible, so you have the best marriage manual right here in God's Word. And maybe second would be those men and women, those husbands and wives, who've lasted not 10 years, 20 years, but maybe lived married lives for 50 years or more. Now, we have Miss Martha and Miss Harold here. They come in on those electric wheelchairs, and we're really glad to have them. 
But do you know they've been married 55 years, a double nickel, and I was asking them, how did you make it happen? And boy, I heard some great advice from Martha and great things from Harold. But there was another lady who was married for 50 years, and at her special celebration or golden anniversary, they were kind of kibitzing back and forth, and someone asked them and said, what made your marriage last? How did it last so long? Well, this grandmother said simply this. She said, when I got married, I purposed that as I would be married, that I would, at the very beginning, make a list of 10 things about my husband that I would forgive him for, some terrible irritations, and then I would look at those and I would forgive him. And so then they said, well, how did it go? Did you do that? What would be one of the worst things you had to forgive your husband for that was on that list? And she says, well, you know, now that I come to think of it, I never did make that list. But I was angry at him a few times, and every time I was angry with him, I always said to myself, I'm sure glad that was one of those 10 on that list of mine. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's best for us not to keep a list of these things and to really release those people and show them how much we really love them. Well, let's begin now. This little outline, it's all coming from God's Word so you can embrace the greatest marriage counselor would be the Holy Spirit. The greatest marriage manual would be the Word of God. The greatest power for you to embrace is going to be the Holy Spirit. And it's all done for the greatest reason, which would be the glory of the Lord. So let's have a new relationship in marriage. And it really means being unselfish towards one another. And that's a key phrase in this whole concept is being unselfish towards one another. And of course, you know what means unselfish. It means it's not about self. So it's unselfish. Now, in this context that we'll be studying in the weeks to come, you're going to find probably three family relations. Now, one of them is going to be husbands and wives. We're going to cover that. And then next, we're going to talk about the family of dads. We mentioned that, moms and dads with kids. But there's a third one, which is called slavery as well. Did you know that in the New Testament days that there were almost as many slaves in a particular city or community as there were non-slaves? And those who were slaves didn't necessarily work in some business somewhere. Those slaves generally lived in a family and they worked in that family together. So they had those slaves. And so those slaves really had a family relationship. And so that's quite likely why you see first husbands and wives, then you see families, and then you see slaves and masters because they all seem to work together. And we'll see that. Now as we do this, we're going to look at some keys that make this work. Now in my pocket... You know, we just moved finally on the island, and I got looking at some of the keys that I have to our church building here, to uh, where we lived before, and our new house. Now, I got a whole pocket full of keys here, and some of them look alike. Now, you wouldn't believe how many times I have stuck a key that looks like the key that should fit into that doorknob, that actually slid into that doorknob, but when I turned it, I couldn't because it was the wrong key. Well, there are a lot of keys out there to how to have a very healthy marriage. And you can go to the seminars. You can get the vinyl notebooks. You can read them and go to, 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 to uh, uh, counseling. But the greatest key you're going to have is going to be the one that's found in Scripture because it's the biblical key that's going to make all of this work, that's going to open the door to an effective and a successful marriage. Well, let's look at the first key here, and this would be for the wives. So those of you who are ladies who are wives or someday may be a wife, let's see what God has to say. He begins by saying this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, if you want to, you could circle the word submit. That's telling you what to do. Now, as I looked at the study on the word submit, first of all, the word in itself only means to, be, to put under. It, it just means to submit. It just, yield might be another word. You could even stretch it and say the word obey. 
Now, when I did that study of just submission, I found out that in Scripture that Jesus himself, when he was 12 years old and his mom and dad found him and said, you're going to come with us after he was preaching in the temple, he then submitted to his mom and dad. The same word that, that indicated that Jesus submitted to mom and dad is the same word here where wives are to submit to their husband. Another time it's mentioned is when people in society live, they are to submit to those that have the rule over them, like the government that they have. Another time that same word submit is used in scripture is when believers are available, they are now out in life and they're to submit to the word of God. Just like we submit to the Lord, just like governments are to have people submit to them, wives are to submit themselves to their husband. Here's something else that's interesting. I did not see that the submission occurred because of the sin of Eve. It wasn't because Eve sinned. It's not tied into sinfulness as much as it is is in God's economy of how humans are to exist with one another that there are times that they do need to submit so it goes all the way back to creation that they're to be in a submissive state now in a moment we're going to discuss some things about that but let's look again it says to whom you should submit in this context wives speaking to those who are married are to submit to your own husbands. Some translations will say submit to their husbands. So now it tells you who you're to submit to, to your own husbands. Well, as I looked at that, I, I decided to spend a great deal of time asking the question, why does it say submit to your own husbands? Why doesn't it just say, say submit to the husband? And I'm going to come to you with what I'm sensing is, is the reason that they emphasize you submit to your own husbands. And every time it's mentioned that a wife is to submit to their husband, it always says, submit to your own husband. So each time it emphasizes it. In, Philipp in Ephesians, and Colossians, and 1 Peter, it all talks about wives, you submit to your own husband. So here's my suggested answer to you. The first one is this. There's going to be a lot of people in your life telling you what to do. Wives, you already know that. Even your kids are trying to tell you what to do. But the one who should and has been ordained and, and identified by God to be the closest intimate one to you, the one who should give up his life for you and for your betterment, to add value to you, to serve you, to be the one that will be the protector and the provider for you, should be your own husband. So out of all of the people on planet earth, the person who should know you the best should be your own husband. The one who should care for you the most should be your own husband. The one who should provide for you the most should be your own husband. So that intimacy, that's why you become one flesh and that's why you spend time getting a chance to know what makes each other tick and ticked at times we might say. It's your own husband. And so that intimacy you can never have with a child. You can never have with another human being other than your own husband. And there's a unique of it when you become one flesh. Now that being the case, I'm sensing that there'll be a lot of people telling you what to do, but the one that he wants you to submit to is the one on earth who should care for you the most. Now I know that some of you are saying, I'm separated, I'm divorced, my first husband was a real jerk and all that, and I could not submit to that one. But for right now, I don't want to give up. The principle still stands. The principle doesn't change based upon what kind of husband you had, and that is that we are to submit to our own husband. All right, the next time it might give this would be this reason. Perhaps projecting into today's society, back in those days, we generally see that the wives did not have a lot of outside jobs. She was mostly the keeper of the house, etc. We even see what she should be doing. But that wasn't like a mandate that a woman could not have some outside employment, including the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 said that she saw fields, she bought it, she took her things to market, she sold, she made money. So there was a little bit of an entrepreneurial background of this virtuous woman who's held up as an example of what a good woman, a good mother, 
or good wife would be. But yet you'll notice through the entire context, her emphasis was still in the home. Now that being said, let's now fast forward it to our present day society. Our society, this room is filled with mainly ladies who probably do work outside the home. In other words, they don't just get up, stay home, work with the kids and then go on off. There's a majority that you do that. Now, should that be what you're choosing to do, that also means that you will more than likely and highly likely have other authority figures in your life, which now could and probably will set you up for conflict. Because now you have a boss that you have now chosen to work. You've chosen to enter into an agreement that you will do what your boss tells you to do. Whether it's verbally or spoken or implied, etc. You have another authority figure over you for protection. But you also have your husband over here. So now you're set up for a potential severe conflict. And your conflict could be, my husband is my, 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 um, my husband. I'm going to submit to him. In fact, the word husband means Lord. All right, it has the idea of being the person who's over you. But I also have a secondary person that's over me. So now what do I do? Probably there could be here tension in your family because you're going off to work, certain demands are made of you, certain things need to be done, and yet your husband has expectations of you, your family has expectations of you, and now you don't know how to really put this all together. I can only submit to you this, and that is that it's referring here to be in subjection to your own husband. So now you have a choice, and your choice can be, all right, do I submit to my boss, male or female, or someone else's husband, if you know what I'm saying, uh, or do I submit to my, my earthly husband? I'm sensing from Scripture that your highest calling is to submit to your own husband. So now when there is a conflict, you ought to bring that conflict to your husband and say, now we have a conflict. You would desire this, but I need to be here because you have allowed me, you've encouraged me maybe to go get a job and now I have another boss telling me what to do and now we have tension in the family, what do I do? So now ultimately you and your husband can sit down and decide together because that's your highest priority is your home and your husband, how this thing should be able to be worked out so that your husband is in the position to give you the direction that God would have you to go in that situation. Not without appeal, not without discussion, but your own husband first. And then it says, as it is fitting in the Lord. Well, I thought I'd open up that a little bit by giving you some truths about submission. So if you're going to submit in the Lord, what would be, as a wife, how do I submit in the Lord as a wife? And here's four of them here. They could give a bunch more, but let me give you four here. Number one, to submit in the Lord, what's fitting in the Lord, it does not cancel out equality. That there is this equality that you still experience between you and your husband. Now just remember, Jesus and God the Father were one. We already know that. And yet it says that Jesus finished the work his father had him to do. That Jesus submitted to his father. That doesn't mean that Jesus was less. It just means that when there was something that needed to be done, there was a, a pecking order, you might say. You'll also find that in 1 Corinthians, which you see God the Father, then you have Jesus, then you have man, then you have woman. It does not sense inferiority. It is an equality, but based on getting certain things done. So we see that here. It is not uh, canceling out equality. So you are equal. Maybe another way to help you see this is that husband and wife now, you're both are Christians, husband, wife, but at the same time, you, your husband is your brother in Christ, 
And you are the sister in Christ, so you are like an equal and a brother and sister because both of you have God as your father in this. So while there's different positions, there's also equality. It does not cancel out equality. It's fitting in the Lord for you to submit, but it's also fitting in the Lord to realize that there's equality. Number two, everyone must submit to other people. It's not just wives. You're not singled out as to be in the doormat. You're not singled out as being the only ones that have to submit. Everyone needs to submit. It does say that we're to submit one toward another. We're submitting to one another. So even as the wives would submit to us, husbands, we also need to submit to the needs of our wife to make sure that she is provided for, she's protected, her needs are being met, and that we are in a position to encourage her, to serve her, to lighten her load for her as her servant as well. Number three, it does not mean that we should disobey God. In speaking to the ladies again, there may be a time that you will be asked, maybe even demanded and commanded to do something that you very much clearly know is in opposition to God's word. And if it's in opposition to God's word, obviously it's in opposition to God. So what does that do now? Because now you have an issue. It says to submit to your own husband, but over here he's asking you to do something that is anti-biblical. Well, my first step would be you ought to pray and say, God, there's a log jam coming here, and I want to make sure that I am with you on all my sins. I want to be with you the way I should be, Lord. Would you help my husband see this or show me where I'm wrong in this? So you pray. The second is that with a tender, servant, loving heart, you know that he's asking you, demanding you to do something that is unbiblical. You go to him then and then very lovingly make an appeal. Allow him the opportunity to change his mind. Give him some time. If he is so riley, so full of negative energy, then there is a time that you will have to then decide. It's better to obey God than to obey man or husband or any other ordinance of man that is not biblical. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.